Right, so this morning I'm titling my talk, Time for Reset. And um, it's, I've, I've prepared my message in that, but it's actually quite funny because um, yesterday I had the privilege of going to watch the rugby. Woohoo! <laughs> eh? Wasn't that exciting, eh? And um, the exciting part was getting to the game. I, it was just amazing to see all the people of Cape Town come together. And I think it's the first big event that Cape Town has had since COVID. And uh, it's just the excitement of the people. And then we've got Ibn Etzebet running out for his 100th game. What a privilege to, to watch that. And I think uh, Bongi, um, I can't remember his surname, but I think he had a 50th game. Um, it was 50th game because we couldn't hear. And there was just such an incredible excitement about this. And um, you might be wondering now, why am I talking about the rugby? But I think there is something here that God is wanting to show us as a church. Because actually, yesterday was a reset for the Springboks. Because the week prior, they had chosen a team which, um, I know that they were experimenting in that. But, but basically, there was a reset which was setting them up to win the series. And I felt like, with me preparing for this message, that, that it sort of became quite a a relevant thing for us because I believe God wants us to reset. And sometimes there's a point in our, our journey with God where we've got to reset and we've got to take stock and we've got to look at a few things. And, um, you know, I think with that reset uh, yesterday, I think it was a reset for the Western Cape. It was a reset, part of the reset for our country after COVID. And, um, and so spiritually, I think there's, there's so much we can learn from it. As we were praying this morning, I was just wondering, when I looked at the people yesterday, how excited they were to be at the event. How excited are we about coming to our Sunday meetings? How excited are we about going to comm groups? How excited, actually, are we about Jesus? You see, we will stand and we'll honor people. I'm taking nothing away from the achievements and the performance of individuals. Let me say to you, wonderful, but it has no eternal value. We learn lessons from that that will apply to our lives, and then God can, can use that to draw us closer to the things of Him. And I feel like God is wanting to reset the church and saying, we need to be excited about Jesus. We're, we, 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 we're happy to, to go to various events and give ourselves to things, but do we have that same sense of excitement for Jesus? So give me some license here, because I feel like prophetically God is wanting to do something. Elmo, can you for my stars, I believe? Rudy, won't you stand for me? Hannes, won't you stand for me? Anton, won't you stand for me? Please. Ricky, won't you stand for me? Please. Zani, won't you stand for me, please? Ricky and Mickey. <laughs> there we go. Right, why have I got these folk to stand? I don't know. Other than this, I felt like the Lord say, if I chose you as an impact player and I asked you to run out for me, will you make your life count? And I believe that God is wanting to use you guys as representatives here of this congregation. And the call that God has on our lives is that we would be impact players for Him. The interesting thing is, some of us are running on the field and we're already playing in the field. And then what happens is God calls different people at different times 
to come onto the field and to make a difference and to be impact players. And I felt like the Lord saying to us as a congregation, I'm calling you to be a people that will be impact players. You're standing here today. Some of you have more gifts than others. But some of you with the lesser gifts feel that you're inferior to the others. I want to say to you, that's a lie from the enemy. It is not of the Lord. Because God can use your specific gift to make a massive impact in the areas that he requires you to have influence. Will you? Make yourself available for that. And I'm asking you, as you stand representing the people that are here, that you need to know that God is speaking to you and he's saying to you, will you make a difference when I call you? And when I call you, will you step in and make your life count and trust me to work in you and through you to do what I need to do so that my kingdom can advance? So, Father, these people that are standing as I've spoken that over them, but I speak it over our congregation. I really want to pray that this morning, Lord, people will go away from this place, Lord, being excited about you and also understanding that you've called them to more and that you've called them to participate in the advancing of your kingdom, Lord. They're not here to be spectators, Lord. They're here to be participators, to share the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. And Lord, that you sovereignly and supernaturally will work in and through their lives lives. And Lord, that some of them will even see you do miracles, Lord. Signs and wonders, Lord. They will pray prayers, Lord. People will get healed. Businesses will be saved. People will get jobs. Finances will increase. Father, I'm praying over the church this morning that you will reset us here and you will change our mindset. And Lord, that we will position ourselves to be used for the glory and the honor of your name. In Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Please sit. Thank you, guys. So that was my introduction. <laughs> now we're going to get into it. So I've been reading um, Psalm 78, and um, this is a psalm that is written by a guy called Asaph. He's one of the chief worshippers in 1 Chronicles 16. Uh, David, who is a, a worshipper, lover of God, um, appoints Asaph as one of the guys to lead worship in the temple. And there, if you go and read 1 Chronicles 16, you'll see God is a God of order. He's very specific, and he chose gifted individuals to, to lead the worship and to do that which was necessary. And uh, what happens is later on in the Psalms, Asaph writes Psalm 78. And what happens if you go and you read the psalm, it's a very powerful psalm. If you want to have a brief understanding of the history of Israel from the time that they were in Egypt to the time to the reign of David, you would do well to spend time just reflecting on it. It's got 72 verses. We're not going to read all of them now. I've handpicked a few, but I'm going to ask you after today, please will you go and read the psalm, and I hope it will encourage you. So with that, I felt three things that I'm going to pull out of this psalm. I'm going to try and open some of it up, and then let's see where we go from there, because we're going to lead from that into a time of breaking bread together, and, uh, and then we're going to worship. So three things that I felt was that God wanted us to be filled with gratitude. I'll show you the scriptures why. We are to be a humble and a repentant people, and thirdly, that we are to be a people that will position themselves to be used by God. That's what I pulled out personally for myself out of the psalm, and then I felt like the Lord saying, I need to encourage us as the body with this going forward. So let's uh, look at Psalm 78 verses 1 to 8, please. And it says, Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen. Say listen. 
to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. Parables is stories. If you read the Gospels, Jesus often told stories. Okay? I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from, the, from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our forefathers to teach their children. Say, teach their children. So the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, say their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like the forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. So with that, what I want us to look at here, thank you. What I want us to look at here is that with the psalm, God wants us to be a people that will be filled with gratitude. When we look at this psalm and we start out, we're looking at history and how many of us like history? You know, some of us, we don't like to reflect on history. Some of us do. But the interesting thing about history is that we can learn a lot from history. When you read the Bible and you read about history, it actually speaks of how magnificent, how awesome, how powerful, and how strong our God is. And as I speak to you, I don't speak down to you. I'm in the same boat because I'm having to learn these processes as we, as we journey with God. But we need to see that when we read our Bible, that this is the God that we are serving, friends. And, and, and that is for us. And so with that, history becomes important for us. History is like a rearview mirror. Yaku and Steffi will know this because I spoke about it when they, when they were getting married. I said, you know, you've got your wind, windscreen in your car. We've got the big screen. And then you've got your little rearview mirror. And sometimes with the K53, when you're being trained out to ride, you've got to look at your mirror, look at the side mirrors, look back, left, right, so on. And you've got to keep looking back and looking around as time goes by. Why? Just to check that things are safe. When it comes to our life's journey with God, sometimes what happens is we've got to look at that rear view mirror and we've got to look back into history so that we can learn from history and we can see how kind God really is. If you go and you read further after verse 8, the Bible speaks how God um, helped Israel in battle. The Bible speaks how he took them across the Red Sea. The Bible speaks of how he provided manna, how he provided clothing, how he provided food, how he provided water. He did all these amazing things. It's not just a story or something that's just taking up space in the Bible. This is recorded in history for us to understand how powerful our God is. And we need to learn from that. And we need to see his goodness and his faithfulness. And so when we look at what God has done for Israel, what he wants us to do is to look at our own lives and where you are sitting right now, whether you are saved or unsaved, 
Do you know that as an unsaved person, maybe you are here today, you still yet to have the chance to respond to God, that God can rescue you. He can save you. I remember years ago when I was hitchhiking from Potchefstroom to go and visit Lee, we were still dating. And I mean, I would do anything to get back to Kempton Park. It was like three hours of hitchhiking. I remember standing next to the, the one highway, it's four lanes. And the guy in the right-hand lane saw me hitchhiking, and he decided to go from the very far lane across to the left lane. But he didn't check the traffic coming up faster on the inside, and he cut the oaks off. And I'm standing there, and the next thing is I've got two massive speeding cars flying at me on the side of the road. And honestly, as I stand here today, I, I, I can't tell you how I got out of the way. I wasn't saved at that point. I can't tell you how I got out of the way, but what I can tell you today is that I know it was the hand of God on my life because he had a plan and a purpose for me. Someone else might have been collecting a GTI sticker in their forehead. That's unfortunately the realities, but that's where I found myself. And so what this does is when we look at our own lives and we see what God has done with us and what he's taken us out of, it's important for us to reflect and see how kind God is. You know, some of you children, the younger generation here, the fact is that your mom and dad could pay for you to go to school, put you through varsity. The fact is that they could maybe buy you a bicycle or a car. You know, sometimes we take these things for granted, but it's the hand of God that allows us to, to receive these things. And I feel like God is saying to you, you need to count your blessings Everything that you have, you need to count your blessings and you need to see how kind God has been to you over the years. Does that make sense? God provided for Israel physically in battle with provision, healing, guidance, leading. And the thing is, he does the same for us today. We just need to reset and take time to reflect on that. So what is important here is that he writes and he says, tell that to your children. This is important. Why is it important for us to share the things that God does in our lives? Because, number one, it not only reinforces the truth in your life, but it also builds the faith in other people's lives. And it gives them hope. And, and it gives them strength. And, and that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to encourage others in this journey. The other thing is when you share what God has done in your life, it says what you think about him, how much you value him, how much you appreciate him. Because from our lips, we magnify him when we speak of the wonders and the signs and the good things that he's done for our lives. Now, you might look at that and many of you are saying, yeah, that's all the physical stuff, house, car, money, wife, husband, children. And so on, let me say to you, what about just a reset? Lord, thank you that you have chosen me out of all creation to be a son and a daughter because I put my faith in Jesus. You see, God saw our brokenness. He saw the brokenness of Israel. And, and, and at that stage, there was a different covenant in place in the way that he walked with Israel. Today, you and I, we have a covenant where Jesus has been set in place for you and I, that if we put our faith and our trust in him, we get made right with God. And the thing is, how many of us, if you were honest with yourself, would choose you? 
If you look at your frailties, your weaknesses, some of us have come out of drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, um, broken relationships, divorce, uh, you, you, you name it. My parents got divorced when I was five, six years old. My, my family was very broken. But yet God would choose me out of my whole family to become a son. And that's the most incredible thing. And that gives me a reason to say, thank you, God. When I look at the history of the Bible, what you did for Israel, I look at it and I go, thank you, God. When I look at my own life and my own history, thank you, God, for what you have done for me. I didn't deserve it. In fact, I, I, I am destined for hell. I was to be separated from you forever. But in your kindness, your mercy, and your goodness, you chose me. And that through Jesus, I would have eternal life. Why do we need to teach this to our children? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it will impact their eternal destiny. And we need to tell wonderful stories. Don't make it boring when you sit around the dinner table, you know, about... You, you, you need to make the stories of God exciting for our children. You know, our young kids, maybe they're battling at school. Sit around the table and say, come on, bit. let's pray. And let's pray the wildest prayer that you can pray to ask God to help you. Teach them that God is faithful. Get faith like a child. Teach them that he is faithful. So... With that, I want to ask you this question. What are you thankful for this morning? As you sit here, when we go and break bread just now, the one thing I'm going to ask you, don't just say, Jesus, I'm thanking you for saving me. I want to ask you, Jesus, I'm thankful that you saved me, but I'm also thankful for, and I want you to list it and be specific, and we're going to get to that just now. Does that make sense? All right. If I look at my own life as I land with this point of being thankful, one of the things I felt the Lord show me in the week is that he's allowed me to overreach in my life's journey. Now, some of you are saying, okay, what does that mean? What that means for me is I've sat and I've pondered about this. And, you know, I've had extraordinary success in business. I know how to make a few million, and I also know how to lose a few million. Okay, that's the success part. I've lost it. Um, I've had success in sport. Um, I've, I've been able to lead teams, uh, train and equip guys, etc. And, and it's just been quite incredible. But then I felt like the Lord said to me at one point, I've actually allowed you to go beyond what your actual gifting has been allowed. Because at one point, I actually thought I was the bee's knees. And actually not realizing that God in his kindness allowed me to overreach for a short period of time to do whatever he needed to do. And I'll explain why. Because he uses our, our circumstances and our situations to train and equip us. But I felt like the Lord say, I've allowed you to overreach to do the following. And I actually had to sit back and go, okay, Lord, thank you. I'm not that smart. I realize that now. But I thank you that in your kindness, when there were times when we were excelling in business that you allowed me to do that and go beyond what I'm actually capable of. Now, some of you might say, okay, how does that equate? So let me narrow it down further. My daughters, 
You know, as parents, some of you are sitting here, you want all your children to hit A's. Remember the A's that you didn't get at school? Or A pluses? So we got into a space, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to chuck a grenade in this one now. But we got to a space where we actually had our children tested. And the people that tested them said, you know what? Your daughters, they're great kids, but they're 55 average students. If they're hitting 55, between 50 and 55, they're actually achieving a level that they're doing great. You're asking them to hit A's is overreaching them and stretching them beyond what they're capable of. If you want to take the pressure off them, allow them to hit a level that they can cope with. Because when they're hitting that, they, they will be much better and stronger as, as individuals. That took the pressure off us, all right? If they hit anything over the 55, we celebrated that. In my case, I was probably a 55 student in terms of some of the things I was doing in life, but God allowed me occasionally to get the B and the C or the A. And that was because he allowed it, and I needed to rest with that. So I just think it's, it's good just to reflect on our lives, that we're not overreaching, that we're operating at the levels that God wants us to, to do. And, but for me, the most important is, thank you, Lord, that that was possible. Right, secondly, we need to be a humble and a repentant people. Let's look at verse 17 of that same chapter. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. Verses 32. In spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. And verses 40 to 41. How often they rebelled against him in the desert and grieved him in the wasteland. And again and again they put God to the test. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. The reality is when we look at Israel, this is the default, the natural default of people. Israel were wonderfully blessed by God. But then what did they do? They fell back into what they knew best. And then the Bible says they actually vexed God. And what does vexed mean? It, it means to make him angry, to annoy him, upset him. How many of you, when you're little kids, walk around and say, I'm so annoyed, so upset. But this is the beauty about God. He's not some ob person or thing attached elsewhere. He's, 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 he's a person. He's, he's spirit, but he's a person. He's got feelings. He's got emotions. That's why he's real. And so we need to see how the nation of Israel um, upset him and made him angry because they quickly moved to the ways of, of, of the old ways, even after God had been so wonderfully kind to them. And so with that, I just felt the Lord remind me this morning that we need to be a people that are humble and repentant. And I'm going to read verses um, 18 to 22 of that same chapter. I haven't given you the scriptures there, but I want to just read this for us. It says, They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the desert? When he struck the rock, water gushed out and streams flowed abundantly. But can he also give us food? Can he supply meat for his people? When the Lord heard them, he was very angry. His fire broke out against Jacob and his wrath rose against Israel. For they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. This is powerful. When you go and read it, you know, it's sort of like trying to get a Steven Spielberg mindset when you read this because it's very hectic, this. So the point is, yeah, our default is naturally 
is that we will find ourselves like Israel, going back into our old ways, if we're honest. So there's a couple of things I felt that the Lord's saying, as we come to the table this morning, we actually need to be a people that are repentant. And the first thing that we need to repent of is firstly, just not listening and following God's ways. It's the basic teachings. We need to take stock of our lives. The second thing is willfully testing God. We're constantly putting him to the test. I felt like we need to stop bargaining with God. I felt like there are folk here this morning that have bargained with God. God, if you give me this, I will do that. God, if you give me a child, I will serve you all the days of my life. But we don't do that. How many of us have prayed the prayer and asked God for a blessing, and he's given us the blessing, and then suddenly the blessing has taken you away from the things of God? I've seen it over the years. And this is a straight-in-your-face thing because, because we need to understand we can't play games with God. When you make a vow to God, God expects you to fulfill that vow. God, if you give me a home, I will open my home to use it for the glory and the honor of your name. Then open your home. God, my car, if I can help somebody today to, to have a lift, I want to use the car. If I can bless somebody with a meal, I'm going to do that, Lord. Because you've blessed me. Responsibility. We need to understand that when we've made vows with God, we need to fulfill them. And some of us, I feel this morning, need to repent. And, and God is calling us as a congregation more and more. If you listen to the messages that have been coming through, God is calling us as a people to respond. And there's a joy in responding. Because you know why? Some of us are being held in captivity and in bondage by the vows that we've broken. And we don't even realize it. And God wants to set you and I free. Man, if I can encourage you with something this morning, we are a messed up people. That's as simple as it is. But God wants to set us free in being messed up because in our messed up situation, God can use you for the glory and the honor of his name to serve his purposes. And I feel like God is more and more bringing us to a place that he wants to start breaking the shackles and the chains that have held us in captivity. Who here wants to walk free? That's me. But we've got to respond to this stuff. We've got to trust God as we do this. Some of us have questioned God, and our questioning has doubted him. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I stand here today. I want you to know, you don't know the arguments that go in my head at the best of times. Rob does, because I cycle with him. And God always gives us the biggest hill to ride, and then I will share my life story with him. <laughs> and he's more broken by my story than the ride. <laughs> the point is, none of us are immune to this. You know what? Our natural default is we fall back to what we know. Our plan A. Our plan A. And often, if you look at your plan A, it's the very thing that got you into the trouble that you're in. God wants that to fall away today. Come with a humble and repentant heart. There's lack of contentment. God gave and he blessed. Oh, I'm so guilty of this. I bought a beautiful bike about two months ago. It's a Trek Top Fuel 7. Say Trek Top Fuel 7. <laughs> it sounds so good. <laughs> But you know, Rob and I and Johnny, I mean, he'll tell you, 
Johnny is also like us. He gets a bicycle, and one week later, he's looking at another bicycle. <laughs> we just don't stop. The problem is we're never satisfied. When is your home that you've got enough? When is the car that you've got enough? When is the money that you've got enough? When is the amount of studying that you've done enough? You know, people just want to study, 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 and they can never be a church or they can't come to com groups or they can't do this or they can't do that and their lives never count for God. When is enough enough? I had to laugh. Gary Player, funny enough, the other day made a comment. One of our South African guys played in this new Saudi Arabia tournament and won something like 95 million, um, uh, 66 million rand. And he said, well, you know, you've got to understand, these guys need to make a living for their, for their families and provide for their families. I'm like, what the heck? He's one of the wisest men in the... I mean, how many of you would like to just... <laughs> the point is, we're never satisfied. God wants us to become satisfied in Him. And it's hard, church. If we're honest, the ways of the world are constantly pushing us towards worldliness. Do not conform to the ways of the world. Why? My value is found in the size of the car, house, money, etc. God is not interested in any of those things. He doesn't mean that he doesn't bless some of us. Please don't misunderstand what I'm not saying here. God can bless, but make sure you're using it for the right purposes. And learn to be satisfied and then enjoy your life with God. Serving his purposes, that will free you up. Some of the things we need to repent of is a lack of compassion. Um, comparison, jealousy, anger, unforgiveness. Let me say to you that these are choices that we make today. Some of us need to repent from not being generous with what God has given us. I think we are quite generous as a church, to be honest with you. But I think there's something that God is calling some of us to that maybe have not lived in the space to tithe. And I haven't... Um, deliberately done the stewarding with, with uh, Rudy this morning because I wanted to bring this in. And I want to say thank you to the people that tithe in our context. I don't earn a salary. So I'm going to speak freely. I'm going to say to you, every time we tithe, the gospel is able to be preached, not just in this country, not just in Durbanville, the surrounds, this nation, but nations of the world. Perhaps for a period of time, God is allowing me to stay in business so that somebody else can keep their job whilst they're preaching the gospel and serving the purposes of God. And I want to encourage you as a people, be generous. And then I felt like I needed to say to some of you, you need to tithe yourself out of your mess. Now you might be saying, what are you talking about? Let me tell you, if you're not tithing, you're not giving into the kingdom of God. And this is going to be a hard pull for some of us to swallow. It says that you do not trust God. I can prove it in Scripture. And I have been myself through COVID. I'll never forget. Russell Fraser, who's ministered here, at one point we were pretty low on finances. And he said to me, Ants, even though you're not earning an income with the money that you've got, operate as if you are receiving that money and tithe accordingly. God will take care of the rest. And I'm telling you today as I stand here, God has never let me down. Sometimes in our giving... It's got to hurt. That's the sacrifice. But in our sacrificing, you've got to trust God for his provision. That's why some of you need to speak to your com group leaders and tell them where you're at. If you're battling financially, if you can't tithe, let them sit and look at your budget. Let them help you. 
But some of us actually need to get to a place where we've got to repent of our pride because we don't want to show people our budget. It's not because we want to be Snoopy and crop in your sly. We want to help you walk into the fullness of what God's word teaches us. And then, out of that place, he blesses and touches us. And I'm sure many of us can tell stories here. So with that, Matthew 3 verses 8 says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So we need to create a lifestyle of repentance. And I, I spend every day repenting because sometimes my thoughts, my words, my deeds don't always line up with Scripture. Can you believe that? All right. Now it's interesting as I slowly start to bring this plane down to land. The Bible teaches us and it says that God actually allowed hardships to come over Israel. And I want to say to you, sometimes in our journey of where we're walking with God, God will allow you and I to run a particular race, but at some point, He will break in and He will allow hardships to get your attention. And that's what He did with the nation of Israel. Yeah, I'll give you manna. I'll give you quail. I let the metana put this place. For, for those of us who are Afrikaans, because they moaned, we're only getting bread every morning. Can God actually give us meat? And God got vexed. So he said, okay, don't worry. I'm going to give you so much meat. And they lekker begin to eat, but they ate so much that they ended up getting sick. And sometimes God will give you what you actually don't need, and it's not going to be good for you. And the hardships come. But it's in that place, the Bible says, that when the hardships came, they realized what they had done, and they turned back to God. And then he was compassionate, merciful, and forgiving. In Hebrews 8, verses 12, it says, God says that he will forgive us and remember our sins no more. When we come to the table this morning, if you repent, maybe you've got to repent and say, I'm sorry to my husband or my wife or my children. You repent and say, God, I'm sorry for being a jerk of a husband. Sorry, I haven't been a faithful wife. Sorry, I've been a disobedient child. Or uh, whatever the story might be. And trust God to, to bring healing there. And he says, I will forgive you and I'll remember your sins no more. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. I feel that heal their land is where you are right now. God can bring healing and restoration to you. That's what we trust for when we come to the table. And lastly, position yourself to be used by God as I close with this. It's interesting if you read um, in Psalm 78, it says, He chose David. This is verse 70. He says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep's pen, from tending the sheep. He brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands. He led them. And I felt this morning, you know, for many of us, we need to understand that God took a guy who was shepherding sheep, stupid animals, right? But as a young boy, 12, 13 years old, his responsibility, he understood, and he did it as, a, as unto the Lord. Because that was their livelihood. That's their currency that they worked with, okay? Now, the point here is, is that God can take you and I from any place that we are in our life, and he can use us. 
He took a shepherd boy and he made him a king. A shepherd boy and he made him a king. It's absurd. We would have thought the guy would have been highly degreed, maybe five degrees um, and, and, and more. But he took a shepherd boy. Because you know what? When David was appointed by Samuel, six of his brothers prior to him were tall, like, like the Hihus and the Jacques and, and a couple of other guys here, where when you look at them, they stand out. And that's great. But when David came along, one of the little guys, God saw his heart. He said, there's my king. Why? Because he would look after the sheep as though they were his own. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you look at the life of Jesus. Jesus, as God manifested in the form of man, where was he born? In a stable. In a stinky, pooey stable. With ducks poo, sheep poo, cow poo. All the wee, sorry, I'm trying to make it gory. That, the point is, how many of us would have thought that Jesus, who was to be our king and our savior, would be born in that? And look what God did with him. For you, sir, ma'am, family members here, God can take you from your lowly circumstances where you are right now and he can use you to fulfill his plans and purposes. Hence, maybe the prophetic word prior, the word of encouragement, is that God wants to use you and I as impact players if we position ourselves and we say, God, I want to make myself available. He's not interested in how much money you've got. He gave that to you. He's not interested in how big your house is, how many cars you've got. He doesn't care about those things. What he cares about is, will you say, God, here I am, use me.